Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. There's a lot of stuff going on in this podcast. Lance Kind is here. First time we're doing a podcast together. We both work at yeah. Leading Agile. We both have our own podcasts. Right. We're, we're trying to do one together. I'm recording it in a completely different device in a completely different way with brand new software. So this is like high risk, major lot of experiments going on. Anything could happen. It could go very wrong. Um, so, Lance, thank you for making time for this, and thank you for agreeing to be part of the people doing podcasts. I didn't know I had a choice. I thought you, that was an order. Yeah, you didn't really have a choice. I need <laughs> help. Lance is going to help. <laughs> so, um, b- so before we get into our topic and everything, would you mind introducing yourself to these folks and also let them know about your other podcasts as well? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Dave. So I'm. My name is Lance Kine, also known as Lance Urkine with an R. Uh, why the R? Well, because I write under that name. Because at one time I thought I might need to have uh, deniability about being that other guy. So I I, I write under a nom de plume. So uh, what do I do with that? I write science fiction and I write agile business novels and a series of of uh, of uh, project management comics called Scrum Noir. Um, so I do writing and I do podcasting. I podcast under Agile Thoughts and Sci-Fi Thoughts. And if you speak Mandarin, there's also the Agile version in Mandarin called Mianjie uh, Linian. I'm calling, I'm calling in from Seattle. I used to live in China for six years. That was my address. And uh, I've done like an eight-month tour through India. So I've been around. Wow. What did you do in China? Same stuff? Uh, I moved over there, and yes, I did some consulting at some big, uh, probably both, yeah, both uh, telephone giants coming out of China, and uh, a number of other, you know, much smaller companies in, in in between. Cool. All right. Well, we'll make sure to include links to all your stuff in the show notes. Um, what we're going to be talking about today, I think, one of the great things about the fact that Lance is going to do this is that my background is much more on the project management side. He's got all the technical stuff, so this way we'll be able to cover a broader range of stuff in more depth. Like, I, there's a lot of tech stuff I, I can get into the kiddie pool on, but I can't go super deep on. Um, so that'll be your area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're gonna like do a little tag team. Maybe uh, who knows what could happen? Maybe we'll co-host and together on some of these things, and maybe we'll have, do separate things. Yeah. anything could happen. And we're going to start out by I'm going to interview him, and then next time he's going to interview me. So we're going to start out talking about scaled technical coaching. Um, and I think before maybe before we get into this topic, the thing that I wanted to ask you about was um, how would you describe? When we talk about agile coaching, right? There's all different kinds of agile coaching. We're going to talk about technical coaching, but there's also like what I used to do, which is a lot more process focused as a coach. How do you explain the difference between those two things to people? Yeah. Well, process is how we get ready for the technical part. So process is like the planning, the um, how do you get a team organized around a plan? How do you get the organization to cough up a plan for the team? Or does the team give the plan to the organization? Whatever. But that, that stuff's all about the process of, to getting ready to do my favorite part, which is actually writing the code. I mean, it'd be great to skip all that other stuff. But if you just when I just sit down in front of my computer and want to write a program, and I, I, I'm in a vacuum, I don't know what to do without talking to people to see what they want. Okay. Okay. So, so like where I'm teaching them Scrum, the basics of Scrum, that's going to be processed. I'm going to go and be like, okay, let's have a daily stand-up. Here's how you do all this stuff. 
I can't explain to somebody how to do test-driven development. Yeah, that's that's one of them, and 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 so like test-driven development, continuous integration, uh, how to refactor existing code that doesn't have any tests. How do I refactor old icky code that nobody knows how to um, work with well? Uh, how do what does good code look like? How to measure the impacts of fixing code? How to measure the impacts of not fixing code? And all those things. <laughs> so I have I want to just before we go into this further, I have a situation I want to ask you about. So I have a client that is trying to get their transformation going. And one of the things that is so problematic for them is how deeply coupled the systems are and the massive degree of technical debt. It's to an extent that there's one team I work with there who told me they don't know what's going to happen until they release. Like they literally have no visibility into what other systems will be taken down. Yeah. So well, that's not a that's a stressful job. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the kind of thing where you would go in and you'd be helping them figure that out, right? Totally, totally. Yeah, and that's a mm, that's a skill that comes out through either a lot of reading and not just reading. You always have to do some doing as well, and, uh, and a lot of experience. So, for example, at uh, at some of those big. Chinese companies that are building routers, I was over there looking at their code to figure out how to decouple it so that they could um, not be waiting on dependencies. So sometimes what happens is somebody says, hey, I can't start this work until this other group or people deliver to me something for me. That I need. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's another way of that's a decoupl that's a coupling problem. Oh, I, I am saying that the developer is saying I'm coupled to somebody else's thing, and I can't I can't even get started until that other person finishes. And you go to the other person, they go like, Oh, I didn't know they're waiting. I have these other priorities. I don't know. Maybe six months we'll get to that. So that's a that's a big problem. Uh, you were talking about the the situation where uh, you have a client with a exciting release time. It's like it's like a I don't think that would be a – is Christmas the right metaphor here? Because it's probably not always happy, right? It's, I think, often not happy. <laughs> <laughs> it might be more like a horror movie yeah. film. Uh, it might be the right right thing or a noir film where everybody's working really hard and maybe they make it, but maybe they don't. Uh, so so the main thing is, is developers who don't know what's going to happen when they deliver the code, there's a bunch of things going wrong. They don't have uh, any signaling that tells them that – their code is going to cooperate with other system dependencies. And uh, maybe, maybe they used to have manual signaling. They used to go in and test it manually. But that type of signaling is expensive and costs a lot of money. And sometimes people, the world's moving faster, folks. It's not getting any slower. So you can either ignore the problem and you end up in the situation that you're describing, uh, Dave, or you got to react and start building in that automated signaling so that you don't require a bunch of people and money to, to figure out if something's going to go wrong when it goes to production. You should know about that uh, in advance. You should know about that. Um, you should be able to make a ship, no ship decision, ideally in hours. You know? Okay. But, but in the case that you're describing, Dave, it's going to take a while for them to get to hours. It might take a yeah. year for them to get to, oh, I don't know, can we make a ship no ship in, uh, in a week? And uh, uh, can we make it? And later, maybe we get that down to a day. And then pretty soon we can start talking about hours and then minutes. So how often do you see organizations where they're trying to do something like Scrum or Kanban or, or whatever, and they do not have any automation in place? Because I'm always surprised by how many I see. 
Yeah. You know, Dave, can I throw, can I throw a process coaching under the bus for a little bit? Sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. So here's the, here's the thing, folks. Uh, the, the industry has adopted scrum like wildfire and that has been all about process coaching. It hasn't been very, it's talked about to do these, these other technical practices that allow you to have your software stay soft so you can ship it quickly or change it quickly. But, uh, it's, it, but the technical practices behind that have been like second uh, tier, I suppose, where a lot of companies hire coaches to, to teach them agile, and that's the agile process, but they haven't uh, addressed the, the technical matters. And so the technical matters is sort of like the uh, little stepchild that's get left down in the basement. Nobody's talking about it, or maybe they're talking about it, but they don't know what to do about it. But so, so a lot of, or a lot of, transformation offices feel like you got to just fix the process first before you get to the technical part. And you know what, Dave? I know where you're going. They frequently forget to get to the technical part. They move on to the next team. So, so, so there we are. Well, and you're even a step further than what I often hear, which is people did the companies just send people to training. Like they'll send like one person from their IT department to my class to go learn scrum so they can come back and teach the rest of the company and transform. (laughs) And it's just like that. That's, it's a nice start, but it's not enough. That's sort of a magical thinking. I think, unless you're a really small company, I could see a, a team, even a team of, a, a scrum team or a team of an agile team of people, like yeah. eight people, you send one person away, who is everyone going to listen to them when they come back? Uh, maybe, maybe not, but yeah. it's, it's definitely a bit of a gamble. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so a lot of it's going to be about creating an organization and an environment that can support the kind of stuff that we're talking about on the process side and support the pacing that they need to be able to be executing at in order for agile really to deliver value for them to learn that fast. Yeah, no, I think that that that's fair enough, okay. and uh, I I would actually be more direct as well. I'd say, look, if we're not going to talk about how to do technical practices that allow those processes to work, then we're going to leave a problem for later. Yeah. Okay, so I want to roll out a quote from Chet Hendrickson and see where you go with this on the scaling side. So one of my favorite things that I've heard Chet say, he said it a number of times in interviews I've done with him. He talks about scaling. And how everybody like rushes off to like sign up for the safe stuff and whatever. And he's like, look, if you have a team that can't deliver in two weeks, why do you want to scale that capability? Like what is the (laughs) win for your company? (laughs) And that's what people are doing though. And a lot of that's going to be like if if you have one team that can't do continuous integration um, and you're going to scale that across 100 teams, that's going to make things actually probably worse than if you didn't do anything, right? Yeah, I gotta give Chet a who. Yeah, that's that sounds right <laughs> on the money. We're we're scaling uh, uh, too soon before we got the whole problem solved. So what's yeah. the what's the? I mean, if you're going, but if you were going in there and working with one team, you just do one the next and the next and the next. I mean, what is the? What makes technical coaching so challenging if you're trying to do it at scale? Right. Right. Okay. Cool. So process coaching is designed i'm going to say where the process coach you know you know what dave hold me accountable here do you as a process coach when you're process coaching do you stay with that whole with that team seven days a week or not seven days let's let's get it down to five days a week (laughs) when i yeah i mean now i'm i'm rarely coaching but i did i would be with one team on 
for the better consulting companies that I was at, I would be embedded with one team. But there were other ones where they would have yeah. me hop from team to team. Right, right. And even if you were with that team, that whole like, uh, 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 let's 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 say you're there for a month and you're there for every day for the week. Were you involved with the the you know? Did, were you actually kept busy by one team or not? Did you have a lot of capacity? I I was busy all the time, but. Um, a lot of that was because I was finding ways to make myself busy with helping them, helping the organization. But the one place that I completely fall down on is, like, I've never been a developer. I don't know. I often, like, would be in a daily scrum looking at them, and they're, like, staring at me. And I'm like, dude, I don't know what the hell you're even talking about. Like, I, I mean, it goes yeah. right over my head. Um, I know that when the screen is green, that's good. When it turns red, that's bad, and it means everyone has to stop working. But... I've never implemented any of that stuff. So I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a couple uh, I'm gonna describe something that may or may not fit your situation. Uh, when because I've I've done process coaching as well. And uh, what happens when I have free time with a team and I'm there in the context of process coaching is I'm coaching the scrum master, I'm coaching some of the team members as it comes up, but then a lot of times when people are busy just working on their product. Now I'm thinking about the organization. So I'm really working on the organization rather than the team. Is that kind of fair? I think, I think, yeah. And I think I, I do that as well, but, but not from a technical perspective. Right, right, right. So the, now the difference is from the technical perspective is, um, when I'm there as a tech coach, I am not thinking about the organization, but I'm thinking about the team and their code. There will be some points where I think a little bit about the organization, but my day-to-day -day, um, work is developing or teaching those team members how to write code. And uh, what that means is I have one, I'm one coach and there's roughly, well, we'll just make up a number. Let's say there's seven developers. And then there's a scrum master and maybe there's a business analyst, right? Okay. So so I have uh, seven developers and that's, if I worked with one person every day, that's, uh, I, I need more than a week just to even cover one team and teach them a little bit of one thing. Right. But if, but I need to teach them more than one thing. I need to teach them probably five or six things. And so that team and I are going to be busy with that for, excuse me, probably six weeks, mm -hmm. at least you know, four weeks, um, if, if I'm teaching them multiple things. So what I'm saying is, is one tech coach with seven things, seven people that, and, and instilling some knowledge and, and, and culture and, um, habits, that's, a, that's already a lot of capacity for me as a tech coach, but as a process coach, the team itself consumes, a. a, a some of my time, it consumes a lot more time at the beginning, but quickly I get that time pretty low, and then it's more about the organization. So um, what I'm saying is now, what I'm saying is when you shift to process coaching and you have multiple teams, you probably have capacity to handle some of that multiple team uh, uh, situation. You probably have capacity to handle, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm just going to, you, you mentioned three. So you have, you have the capacity to handle three teams and maybe still do a little bit of that organizational uh, coaching as well. But as a tech coach, if you give me three teams in the same period of time, it's not likely I'm going to move. I'm not going to teach them uh, 
three or four things. I might be able to teach them all one thing, but it's very difficult uh, because now you're talking about three teams. So it's three times seven. That's 21. That's 21 people that I'm going to try to change in a period of, uh, say, four weeks. And uh, that, that's not easy to do. And you think, wow, hey, Lance, that's great for the startup company. But if I have a, a, a big organization with, with uh, hundreds of teams, how are you going to coach all them? And the answer is, I can't coach them that, in that way because it won't. Uh, I can't coach a hundred people in four weeks. I can't. Right. <laughs> well, that's a hundred teams. So hundred teams times seven. That's seven hundred people. So I mean, you could problem. broadcast like a training message to them, but you would still need a bunch of coaches, a um, hundred coaches, to go work with them. And all those coaches would have to be a hundred percent in sync to make sure that everybody was being taught the same one true way, right? Well, now you're you're kind of you're, you're we're going into the the scaled approach of of doing that. But uh, for an embedded coach, there's clearly a limitation. Yeah, I can only spend uh, I can only coach a few people, say seven, uh, every week, for on one thing, and uh, and then I can only do that well. Uh, if I stick it, keep it down to to one thing over over that number of people. So but, uh, hang on, before you go on to the next part of this, so what do you say when somebody's like, "Well, that's ridiculous. Why can't you just do fifty people at once?" So, I mean, I can't, yeah. can you just coach them to figure it out on their own? Right. Well, that that's that's the scaled approach. So we're, that, that's the 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 paradigm shift is to say, uh, "Don't do, hey Lance, don't do all the coaching yourself. Teach somebody else to do the yeah. coaching." And that actually solves a couple of problems because there's still another problem uh, we haven't got to about embedded coaching. How many language, languages do your teams use? Uh, they How usually computer- are just struggling with English. <laughs> How many programming languages do they use? <laughs> Kidding. Uh, I have no idea. One, two, three. So they, you know, over the course, I'm sure you've probably encountered four or five, at least four or five different languages. And now you're asking one person, a coach, a technical coach, to work with teams on a whole bunch of different languages that that coach may or may not be skilled at. Now you're looking for a really hard to find individual, not just a, one who could do Java, but one who could do JavaScript and one who could, who could do C sharp and one who could but do all these developers come in and go full stack, baby. I can do it all. Yeah. Well, those, and those are the expensive developers and they're hard to find. No, like, so, they're also not, they're more like half stack. A lot of the time <laughs> I find. <laughs> that, and that could be true. So, uh, so when, when we start saying one person coach many technical, many developers on many different languages, you really are making life really hard. And now when you're at that organization who says, hey, we have 100 teams, let's go get 100 embedded coaches. Wow, good luck on that one. Because it's very difficult to find 100 people who, who will match your team's technical expertise uh, either by being a specialist in that area or by getting generalists who can work with any of those teams. Yeah, and if, you, if so, you're listening to this and you're thinking about hiring coaches, um, there's lots of coaches out there. I will tell you that, I mean, everybody I talk to, like finding a coach and finding a good coach are not the same thing. And um, there's a desperate need for more experienced, talented coaches in the Agile space, wouldn't you say? Totally. And, and I don't, when you say coaches, I'm not sure if you mean process coaches or technical. Because I mean, just I, across the board, there's a, there's a shortage or a, a need. There's not very many technical coaches um, in the industry. And so they're hard to find because you know what, Dave, 
maybe I don't like spending all this time working on other people's code. Maybe I want to work on my own code, or maybe I want to go work for a company and do some software development on on, on something that's you know I'm passionate about. Yeah. So technical coach has that ability to say, you know what, screw this coaching stuff. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go write some code for for a company and and you know go right. cash out after IPOs. Yeah. And I would imagine also that there's a certain amount of satisfaction you get if you are a technical coach working with like a single team, helping them grow into this and get better at it, as opposed to somebody who's in a situation where they're being told, no, no, we need you to, you know, coach 17 teams at once, where you never really get to spend enough time with them to be the coach that you feel you need to be for them because you're spread so thin. Problem is this, folks. There's not a, enough coaches to change a large organization uh, with just embedded coaches. That's that's the bottom line. Okay. It will take many, many years for a few em- embedded coaches to change a large organization. And we're talking possibly for really big organizations, we're talking maybe a hundred years. Okay. Right. And I don't know how that VP is going to get his bonus for the transformation if he's going to have to wait a hundred <laughs> years. <laughs> All right. Okay. So let's go down the scaling path then. Um, I've got a hundred teams. I need them all switched over. Maybe I can find enough process coaches to teach them the basics of Scrum or Kanban, but to get set up with all the XP stuff and all the other technical practices you want, how am I going to handle that part of it? Yeah. So now if we step away from embedded coaching and we say this, a couple things, Hey, we have 10 teams. My hypothesis is Dave is that Every team has at least one really good developer. Okay. And, every, and and that really good developer is waiting for an opportunity to become a tech coach. And that one really good developer, and there may be more than one, by the way, right. that really good developer is kind of like a little annoyed at how things are progressing and probably, you know, is thinking wistfully of the years when he was at that other company where things were a little better uh, and and. And so at that point, I want to catalyze that person and teach him some some coaching skills, so some soft skills on how to show up as a coach okay. uh, to enable him to be able to facilitate you know, agreements with his team and resolve conflicts or arguments and those kinds of things. So you give me 10 teams. Now the skilled approach is, okay, organization and teams, find one good developer, somebody on the team who's a good developer, who cares to change things, who's communicative. Um, and the team will listen to. Okay. I, what you just said kind of sparked a question in my head about technical coaches. And I'm wondering, um, a lot of the process coaches that I know that have decided to make coaching like their career, like that is what they want to do. They've gone off and gotten you know international coaching certifications. They are, I don't know, I, I sort of want to describe them as the followers of Lisa. Um, Oh yeah. Now, is right. it the same thing on the technical side? Do they do technical coaches go after those certifications? Do they have particular thought leaders that they follow, or is it still like you know Lisa no. Atkins, Michael Spade, like that that general approach to things? So they're totally not doing that. Is is okay. my determination? Uh, so so this is the this is where a scaled approach comes in and says we're going to teach you some of those skills of, of being a coach of a coach, not a technical coach. Right. And then 
we already know because you're a good developer, you're passionate about technology, you care to change things. So we're going to give you that, that, that some knowledge about how to, how to uh, be a good coach. And then we're going to give you some space and a process to create plans, to get on the team's backlog, to negotiate with your management so you can get some of the technical work done as well, the technical improvement. Okay. Now, when you said the thing that, that, that struck me there was when you said, you said something about showing up and I was thinking of, um, some of the coaches I know, and they talk about how they show up and they want to do so like a checking in thing. And I'm yeah. thinking about a lot of the people I know who fit the bill for what you describe as the person we're going to like coach into being a technical coach. And when they show up, they show up ego strapped to their back, ready to show everybody yeah. else what they're doing wrong. And that's right. not the same thing. No, no. Yeah. That's just going to, frankly piss people off and, and, and create conflict that you don't need. So but can you, I so, mean, yeah, what, how long uh -huh. is it or how hard is it? I would think that that's got to be the hardest part of technical coaching, teaching somebody that approach and mindset of show up and be a coach that's there for others. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is it hard? Probably. Um, so far it's been, it's worked pretty well. It has been my experience at a number of clients and I'm not sure I can't explain why, uh, Dave, either they, they've picked. So I've worked with a lot of developers in the world. I've worked with over a thousand, uh, a thousand people. And uh, I've worked with probably mid-hundreds of scrum teams. If you add another zero on the back of that, I suppose that puts me around 5,000 uh, uh, teams, right. 5,000 people. And uh, some developers, the ones who are really opinionated and uh, are, are really technically smart, but sometimes they use their smarts against the team, those are not good coaches. And uh, if that's somebody they give me, then that's somebody I'm going to have to help them understand how to show up better as a coach so okay. that they don't just create conflict. Uh, I will say that so far, the people I've worked with um, haven't been that person. And I don't know if it's because they were vetted better by the company or maybe the company is already, you know, people kind of know who that is and avoid it or, or you know, I can't explain it. But because I, I know those people exist, I've worked with them, and they're 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 a complicated thing to to deal with and and change. Okay. So David, it's always possible that I'm going to get a somebody to say, "Hey, this person's a good tech coach," and then at some point I'm going to have to tell them some uh, bad news, like this person can't be a tech coach because of these problems. Okay. Well, my approach is to grow, grow whoever the organization says will play that role. Mm -hmm. Uh, with an open mind and start down the path of teaching and coaching. And uh, if, uh, if I discover problems, then, then we need to address those problems. And okay. that, that hopefully will be more about developing the person rather than, 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 than switching them out. But I'm totally open to switching them out too, because it's about what the organization wants and needs, right. not about individual in this case. In, in your opinion, um, does the person who becomes, is the person who becomes the coach more often than not, the most skilled, most like Neo-like person on the team? Or are there some people that just like, they're good, but they're, they, you see them like that, that one. Because mm. they have some mix of social characteristics or whatever. Uh, or is it usually like the rock star on the team that needs to be the coach? I'll be honest with you. It's probably not always the rock star. The rock star, okay. you kind of mentioned the ego, ego. Uh, I call them ego programmers. They, yeah. The rock star may not necessarily be an ego programmer, but if they are, then that, that's a really uh, a tough person to uh, adjust. Not impossible, though. 
but but it's a tough person to adjust. Maybe they're even easy to adjust, but nobody's bothered to teach them how to be a coach. So some of these things, when ah, you give them a, that's good. a little. If you give them a little structure and, yeah. and some knowledge about how to show up as a coach, they can just they'll be a rock star at that too. For for example, if you just tell them, look, you can't decide for the team, you have to get them to decide. And if they disagree with you, that's okay. Wow, okay, that's a that's a, yeah. that's something for them to think about. And then now they have to figure out how to uh, uh, show up more as a uh, facilitator of information rather than a, a, a boss. It's really interesting to me to, to hear you say that because. Um, I have seen a lot of places where there's there ends up being like the person who was the rock star and the air just gets thinner and thinner and thinner for them because they keep solving these problems. And it's not that they really want to be that guy, but they suddenly are. And, you know, I mean, there's it's nobody's taken the time to teach them the other stuff that they need. Nobody's given them the room to develop these other skills. I mean, maybe offering them that. Um, space for that is, is a big part of helping people grow into it. I was a, I was a little bit of a jerk when I was a new employee. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I was a uh, graduate with a master's in computer science. I'm very interested in technology. Uh, I got on teams. We were, we, we at, uh, Hewlett Packard, we were very, um, egalitarian. So our, we weren't into agile because that was too, too early for that. I suppose I didn't know about that, but we were already you doing a lot of those, some of those things. Like for example, we didn't have hierarchy within team members. There was actually somebody who is the senior dev, but nobody really knew who that was unless he admitted to it. Right. So, uh, uh, there, we didn't have a lot of hierarchy, but uh, I remember having conflicts with people because I felt like I had to be right and when I really didn't. And I remember sometimes having conflicts because I was getting emotionally tied up. I wanted us as a team to arrive to the the right decision or the best yeah. decision. And, and, and I didn't have the tools to figure out how to do that other than to be somewhat argumentative. Right. Okay. And so, so it was not, I think I, when I look back upon myself, uh, back when I was in my mid twenties, I was a de- definitely a different person than I am now. It was, I didn't have very many tools to, uh, uh, to disagree, but not be disagreeable. I was yeah. sometimes disagreeable while I was disagreeing. Okay. So what do you think? I mean, if I'm listening to this and, um, it, this sounds like, a problem that I might have, right? I need, I know I've got some technical issues. We have a really large organization. Scaling is definitely going to be part of my concern here. Um, what do I need to know about this? Or like, what questions should I be asking myself before I head down this path? As a, as a team tech coach? That's, that's as, the as the leadership that would be making the decision to go for some sort of scaled approach to technical coaching. Right on. Uh, so if you're a, if you have a scaling problem, meaning you can't hire enough technical coaches, you need to solve that problem because you're just going to ignore it and it's not, it's going to get worse. Uh, every year that goes by on teams doing bad practices, like they're not doing any test automation, it's going to cost you more later. So it's like a credit card, you keep charging and the debt's going to grow. Um, so uh, I think it would be crazy to be how do I say stuck because you can't find enough tech coaches. So then the answer is to do something, a different strategy, which would be scaled. Uh, Dave, I didn't want to do a scaled tech coaching model. I was a, I still am a really good embedded coach. And I thought, how the heck am I going to make the client happy when they have a thousand people and I'm only one tech coach? Yeah. 
so uh, I was an independent consultant at that time. And the, the co consulting company I was working through to get into that made it very clear that, look, they've already heard lots of people who try to convince them to do embedded coaching, but they don't have the money and they, they don't have the patience to hear about it. So they made it very clear for me to think about how to make that succeed. Uh, and, uh, and so that's the situation. If that's your situation, folks who are listening, and uh, you, you have a lot of technical debt in your company, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. Um, and, and if you go for a scaled technical coaching approach, you, it's very possible for that, for one technical coach to coach 10 teams and to coach them well. Okay, so this is, I, I, I guess the way I asked the question about if you're headed down this path, but it's not that you'd be headed, you, you kind of end up on this path. You suddenly realize, oh, we were trying to do it that way. Crap, it didn't work. We can't go this this large with embedded coaches. We need the, we right. need the, the scaled approach. Okay. So, that, I mean, right, to, right. I, that's an interesting difference to me between the process side of things where I run across people. I had somebody in class two weeks ago, like, well, we're doing scaled agile framework. I'm like, okay, how many teams do you have? One. <laughs> like okay. what why like well because we have yeah, to have a release train right. like with your one team so right, right, right. um they make a choice <laughs> to to try to solve a problem that they don't have but this is different because this is a problem you discover you do have you don't yeah. make a choice to pursue it okay right and if you're if, a li if you're listening to this show and you don't need a thousand people taught good developer practices right but you have 10 then one embedded coach will be fine. You don't okay. have a scaled tech coaching problem. So other than hiring, what is the hardest part about this? Is it going to be keeping everybody in sync? Because it seems like that might be a concern. You're all going to have your own different yeah. philosophies about things. So let's talk about the scaled approach for a second. So that means one coach is going to work across multiple teams We'll, we'll stick with your model of 10, 10 teams. And each of those teams has some senior-ish person, doesn't mm -hmm. have to be the most senior, but somebody who meets that criteria we discussed earlier and, uh, and, and says, look, this will be our team tech coach. All right. So we have team tech coaches now. Okay. And so now my job as an expedition coach is to coach those 10 team tech coaches. Now I've gone from working with 10 teams times, say, uh, seven developers per team, 70 people at once, back down to uh, 10 people, which is totally manageable. I'm going to teach them the soft skills to be a coach. I'm going to teach them some of the technical things that they need their teams to do, like TDD um, or pair programming well, or continuous integration. Hold uh, on a second. Or, I want to ask a question yeah. about this. Um, let's say I am a really good developer, and I'm, I'm that guy. I've been picked. I've been okay. designated as the guy. I don't, I've never done pairing. I've never done TDD. And you're going to teach me that, which I get. But yeah. I'm also the coach of other people that haven't done it. And I've been doing it for maybe like 30 seconds longer than them. Right. That seems like I'd be a pretty sophomore coach. You know, that's the funny thing about learning something new. You just need to be ahead of the people who, are, who you're teaching, right? <laughs> Faster than so, the slowest uh, guy, yeah. <laughs> and that's okay, okay. because uh, as you learn this, you'll have support of somebody who's done it for maybe maybe most professional coaches have done it for ten years, uh, and they'll they'll pair with you so you see it. And if you get stuck and you need help, you can you know get them on the get them on the speed dial and, and then have them come over and, and help out. Okay, but uh, 
you have somebody that you can contact, you know, your lifeline, if you will, if yeah. you really get stuck. But, uh, but anyways, it isn't like I'm going to hand you a slide deck. David, don't worry. I'm not going to hand you yeah. a slide deck and say, hey, go, here's, here's how you pair a program. We're going to sit down and we're going to do it for a while because guess what? The best way to teach somebody technical practices is through pair programming. So anytime I'm working with tech, team tech coaches, yeah. I'm pairing with them on something. Okay. So things like pairing or TDD, refactoring, uh, I, I may send them some materials, mm -hmm. may send them a slide deck, but in order to really, for me, to feel comfortable, comfortable that the other person is getting it and learning it and has opened the book, I don't assume they open the book. I just say, okay, here's some materials. Now let's go do it together for a while. And then at the end of that session, I turn to them and say, I turn to you and I say, hey, Dave, you think you got it enough to teach him some things? And usually the answer is yes. And okay. don't worry, I'm not going to disappear next week. I'm going to be with your, you know, if we have 10 teams, yeah. we're looking at probably being there for a few months. Okay. So now people who are thinking about budget, you're not hiring 10 embedded coaches. You're hiring right. one expedition coach. And that one expedition coach, you should be able to afford to have them around for a longer duration of time. So we're going to be around longer period to influence people when they need that lifeline or check-in. But eventually you'll be going away or moving on to some other Eventually. Group. Okay. Which, which here's, here's, my, uh, here's my belief, Dave, is uh, if I go there and I'm embedded coach, as embedded coach, I'm only going to be with that team for, let's make up a number here. Let's say if, if I'm there to teach them just one thing like uh, TDD, maybe I'm only there for, say, three weeks. Right? Okay. Boom. And then I'm gone. Right? So now sustainment is a big problem. We don't know if the team's going to keep yeah. doing what they were taught. But if I'm there for a few months, at least on the lifeline, and I'm, and by the way, we part of our process is to check in with all the team tech coaches every two weeks. So we still yeah. have, uh, 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 um, how do I say, conversations and further learnings and teachings. Um, you're gonna, we're stretching the learning period out longer, which means that the habits have to hold longer. Yeah. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna do TDD for three months. That's a whole different matter than doing TDD for three weeks. Yeah. I was thinking when you were talking through it before that having some sort of community build up within the organization of all the people that have been selected to become the tech coaches would be really, really helpful for them. Yeah, for, you're because, right the because they're, that's, that's, they're transforming not only, I mean, there's a lot, they have more change to go through than anybody else. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, they're teams too. So, but but we're asking them to be the forerunners. Yeah. So they're going to be more on the spot. And we try to, you know, I, I talk to the organization to try to get some, uh, how do I say, incentive rewards for them as well, uh, so that the team and coaches feel like, you know, they're not just getting a, how do I say, the hard, the start problem in the, on the math test. They're getting the start problem on the math test, but they're also saying, but it's also going to be part of their objectives, so that they think, okay, great, I showed some results, uh, I showed some leadership capabilities, I got some things done, and the organization will recognize me. Okay. So that's 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 one of the things that that we 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 get into place. Um, you mentioned the community of practice. Um, that is something that we do as well. I think it's important when we work with teaching team tech coaches to be coaches. We work with them as a cohort. So, uh, okay. for example, that first batch of 10, we would yeah. do all at once. We'd have a class to teach them how to be a coach, how to show up as a coach, how to facilitate, how to handle conflicts. And we would do that as a group so that they can do some cross-learning and, and start building that community. 
I think one one aspect of that that a lot of people don't it doesn't occur to them is that anybody who's coaching needs a support system in place because we all have those days where we leave and we feel like god i suck they should never let me do this again i have done so much damage <laughs> to so many people today and when you have those days no matter how good you are you have those days and you need right. people around you who can pick you back up and put you back together and i think if you have this cohort model then that's like building support system right there could be yeah yeah totally so yeah my my uh my hope is that uh, I can have a a tech coaching uh, community that lasts far longer than my duration at yeah. that company. Okay, so cool. That, are there are there uh, other aspects of the leading agile approach to this that are kind of unique? Well, everything about the scaled tech coaching is pretty unique. Not many okay. people are doing it because guess what, Dave? Embedded coaches don't want to change how they coach either, right? I, and so, I was I didn't want to say embedded because I said I was so done with embedded, so I was going to let that one go. <laughs> well, that's that's the funny thing is that they're, that they're used to it. They got their flow, you know. They know how to get yeah. some level of success with that. It's and, good to and be the so king. It's, now it's talking about changing. And they're used to changing other people, but then they themselves get used to that, right? <laughs> and and I understand that because I was in the same place. It took me. A very clear person to tell me there's no way embedded coaching will work. You need to come up with something else. And I thought, okay, I'm going to come up with something else. I'm not even going to spend my cycles trying to change somebody else's mind. I'm just going to think about how to make this work. And, uh, um, you know, I want to share something about that. Uh, So uh, back to the the coach that knows every language under the planet. Mm -hmm. So if you show up at an organization with a thousand people, chances are good that you're going to not know every language that that organization likes to use. And, and so here's where team tech coaching actually solves a lot of problems. When you, when I go into a team, I need to pair with something, someone, because I don't know my way around the code base. But a team tech coach already knows the way around the code base. They already know the language. They already know. There's a bunch of check boxes they can check right off the bat. And if it happens to be a language I don't know, they already know the language. If it happens to be a language I'm pretty good at, but maybe I don't use on a daily basis like they do, right. they're, they're actually going to be a better uh, developer in that language than I am. Okay. So at that point, I'm leveraging the built-in uh, team, how do I say, team brain of yeah. somebody who's already got a lot of context and knows where all the skeletons are buried and, uh, and, and, and changing how that person thinks and then asking them to go change the team. So um, that, that, made, that actually solved some problems. Where, so as an embedded coach, my, my approach would have been you know, a little bit hard-headed. I thought, oh, I'm going to go work with that team with that language I'm not very good at. I better go spend some uh, off-duty time to go to knock the rust off so I can right. show up in a professional way. But now I, I can still show up as, as I am. And I work with the team tech coach cause it's honestly his problem yeah. or her problem to solve that. So, and they can solve it because they've been working on the team. Okay. Well, this is great. Um, if people want to reach out to you to learn more about how we're doing this, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, you can catch me at, Lance.kind at Leading Agile, and uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Lance R. Kind. So okay. Lance R. Kind. And you got LinkedIn too, I'm assuming? And there's LinkedIn. You bet. And I'm known worldwide as Lance R. Kind, so okay. I'm easy to find in a search engine. 
All right. So I'll make sure that that's included and I'll include links to your other activities as well, your podcast and your writing. Um, oh, thanks. But thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs>